Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. <clears throat> we are uh, kind of kicking off a, a new sermon series, Good News of Great Joy. Um, have you noticed all the, the decorations out there, I'm sure? Did you see those? You like that? Did you see the, uh, the big snowman, the Burl Ives snowman? You should go get your picture taken next to him. This is a real tree, by the way, um, not a fake one. We cut down a legit real tree. And my first question was, who's watering it every day, right? <laughs> That's my job at home, right? Um, but uh, they've just done an awesome job. I hope you, you appreciate it. But we're, we're just in the midst of a, of a new sermon series called Good News of Great Joy. We're carrying it all the way through, through Christmas. And, um, you know, there's been a, a hotly contested debate uh, over the last hundred years or so. Um, Christians and non-Christians alike have... Um, have battled over this topic, and families have been torn apart over it. Uh, even friendships within Christianity have decided to part ways over this disagreement. So the debate that, that I, I want to bring up to you is this. When are you allowed to start listening to Christmas music? <laughs> the battle's real, right? Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. It is. And those of you who are married to, to somebody who, who wants to listen to Christmas music all year long know that the struggle is real, and, and I feel for you. How early is too early? That's the question. Um, I heard someone say after service that, uh, that the first snowfall, I was like, that can be in October, right? Like, uh, people say November 1st is a good time. Some people say let it ring all year long, and I'm like, oh, Lord. Um, some people say November 1st. I, uh, and then other people say, well, like the, the day after Thanksgiving is a good time. Um, I personally think that we should give Thanksgiving its space, if you know what I'm saying. Like, what is the rush? Let, like, let Thanksgiving live. And then um, my, my thing is, I think December 1st, yesterday, yesterday was the first day I started listening to Christmas music. Um, December, thank you, ma'am, I see that hand. Uh, December 1st, I see that hand, I see that, and there, you, I see you. Uh, December 1st is a great time. If you're looking for any kind of wisdom from me, uh, keep your family intact. I think December 1st is a good time um, to, uh, to start listening to Christmas music. Do you guys all agree with that? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody said? Amen. No. <laughs> and everybody said no. Okay, well, hopefully that doesn't happen for the rest of the sermon. Um, now, really what it boils down to is, is this bigger question, which is, when does Christmas season begin? When, when, when does it begin? Um, you know, we, we've started decorating for Christmas all around here, so it has the Christmas, has the Christmas season begun. Um, and, and many of you know this, that today is the first Sunday of Advent. So it's, Advent is the first four Sundays, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so this right now is the, the first Sunday. And the Lord's been speaking to me a lot about seasons in my own personal time, um, and not just about winter and Christmas and that, but like, like what season am I in personally as, as a husband, as a father, as, uh, as just a Christian, as an individual? Like what season am I in? And then what season are we in as a church? And, um, and as we're heading into Advent, you know, I think sometimes we grow up with that term, Advent, so, but we don't really know what it is other than the first weeks leading up to Christmas. So I looked it up. The word Advent literally means this, the arrival or the coming into of a new season. The arrival 
or the coming into of a new season. Now, at first when I was reading this, I was like, well, well, hold on, hold on. How can something arrive and yet still be coming? Right? It's a little, it's a little misleading because here's, let me just put this in regular terms that we will all understand. If I order a package from Amazon and I go on my tracking number and it says that the package has arrived at my door and yet is still on its way, it's confusing at best, right? It's like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy because something can't be arrived and also still on its way at the same time. And so we're left struggling, like, which is it? Is it here? Has it arrived or is it still coming? How can it be both? And yet, when it comes to life, when it comes to the seasons of life that, uh, that we all live in, that we all know to be true, so much of our lives are lived in the already but not yet. It's the, the season is coming, and yet it has arrived at the same time. Now, let me explain this to you in, in another way that you might understand. Um, if you look on your calendar, it will tell you that the first day of winter is December 21st. Did you know that? Now, how many of you know winter has already arrived in the state of Maine? <laughs> Come on. Right? Right. So it's like winter hasn't even come yet. December 21st is the first day of winter, and yet... We have missed school at least two times already, right? Winter has already arrived and it has failed to respect the day on my calendars, right? The season is already here. So it's, it has arrived and yet is still on its way. It is still coming. And for the seasons of life, very rarely are there clear-cut beginnings and endings to things. I wish that there were clear beginnings and clear endings. But in real life, what we find is that we're continually left living in the in-between, that's what I want to talk about today. What is the in-between? What does that look like? The already but not yet, the arrived but also still coming. Most of life is lived in the in-between. And sometimes when it comes to our journey with Jesus, our journey in Christ as a Christian, we're certainly not where we were, but we're also not where we think that we should be or where we ought to be. And so we find ourselves in this in-between point. And the question that I want to talk about today is, what are we supposed to do in the in-between? How do we prepare to go where we need to get to go from where we currently are? Does that make sense? No. How do we, how do we prepare to get to where we need to go from where we currently are? What do we do in the in-between? What does that look like? So if you turn with me to Mark chapter 6, and if you'd stand up with me um, to read it, we've been, we've been prancing through... Um, Proverbs over the past six weeks, and proverb here, proverb there, proverb to make a point. I, I, I personally love just digging into a portion of scripture and asking the Lord, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through this. I pray you'd highlight something. You'd speak to my heart for where I'm currently at. Lord, what is the word of the Lord for me today? So as we read this, Mark chapter 6, um, starting in verse 45, this is what it says. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Okay. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And so they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, 
Take courage. Get a grip. It is I. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us as we look at this story of the disciples in the in-between. God, as they're, they're launched out from where they currently were to where they're sent to be going and, and find themselves somewhere in the already but not yet, God, I pray that you would, you would bring out what it is, the, the, the truths of your word, of what, it, what, it, what it, it should cause on the inside of us to live in the in-between. Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you don't take notes uh, normally, um, I'd love for you to take notes today. Uh, if, if you do take notes, then take notes. That'd be good. Um, this is a message that, that has just been rolling around in me all week long, and uh, I'm just excited to get it out um, because, it, because I think it will apply to many of us today of what, what, it, what, it, what it looks like to live in the in-between the already but not yet, the I'm not where I was, but I'm certainly not where I think I should be, and what am I supposed to do in the middle of that? I think that's most of where life is spent. And so I think that as we look through this, this scripture, I know that there is a word for each and every single one of us in here. So anyway, let's get started. Um, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. So we pick up in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Now right before we pick up in, in verse 45, um, Jesus and his disciples were just on what I would call a Jesus tour. Uh, he and the disciples have been kind of traveling around, and they are like rock stars right now. Um, Vote for Jesus bumper stickers are out, and the WWJD bracelets are in, um, and everyone is, is loving Jesus. He is very, very popular right now. Everywhere they go, crowds gather. They're clamoring around to just get near him. And to top it all off, right as we pick up here in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus has just filled a huge crowd's belly. In other words, like, you can say some really nice things, you can even bring healing to me, but if you feed me, I am your friend for life, right? So these guys are adoring Jesus right now, because right before this, he literally has just performed, in my estimation, one of the most mind-boggling and astounding miracles of feeding 5,000 men with only five loaves of bread and two fish. I personally, like to this day, I don't have a box to put something like that in. Like I've seen people healed, I've seen deaf ears open and blind eyes, and I've seen cancer, you know, leave. I, I, I've seen God do some amazing things, but logically, rationally, like if there was a video camera back then in Mark chapter 6, like I have no idea, I don't have a box to put in what it would look like to multiply five loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people. Like it, it, it does, I don't have a place for that. So. They, things are going great, and, and they've just finished up what they're supposed to do where they are, and Jesus is now sending the disciples where they need to go. We pick it up in verse 45. He says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So, 
I want you to think about this. Given where they're currently at and, and, and the clamoring crowds and people just adoring Jesus and the disciples, he could have very easily been swept up in the intoxication of popularity at this point in the game. He had momentum going. He had the big mo. Like, he had everything going for him. He had the crowds, the people, probably the money. Like, he had, he had crowds following him, and they were ready to make him king. I mean, they were ready to vote for Jesus, right? Like, and at this moment, when it, it seemed like he had arrived, like, like, he, like this is a good place that we should just probably set up camp right here. Maybe we should just stay. This is what Jesus decides to do. He decides to leave. And not only that, he makes his disciples. The Bible says he makes, he makes them, makes his disciples get into a boat, and then he literally pushes them offshore like, see you later, boys. Meet you in Bethsaida right? Pushes them off. And he says, guys, you just keep going. I'm going to meet up with you. Don't ask any questions, but we'll, 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 we'll meet up then. And then Jesus decides to go up to a mountain to pray. That's what the Bible says. And it's so interesting to me in this. If you're taking notes, the first point is this. In the in-between, Jesus chose to saturate himself with his father rather than to surround himself with his followers. Let me say that to you again. In the in-between, Jesus chose to saturate himself with his father rather than to surround himself with his followers. And you need to do that as well. So if you find yourself in a place of an in-between where like, you feel like God is launching you into a, a, new, a new season, into a new place, I'm telling you, if you're in that place, if you're in the in-between, you need to get away with God. I know it's tempting, like, oh, things are going really well and I'm just going to keep moving. I'm telling you, it's at those moments where you need to pull back and allow God to start speaking to your emotions rather than letting your, your emotions govern you. Because your emotions will tell you, just keep going, just keep running until you burn out. This is going to be awesome. Get alone with Jesus. Get alone with the Lord when you're moving into a new season, when you feel like God is launching you into something new. Amen? Verse 47, he continues. We're just going to keep walking through this. You can keep your Bibles open in Mark 6. Verse 47, he says, Later that night, the, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land, Jesus. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And I was thinking about this. Like, have you ever thought that you were doing what God had called you to do, and then immediately you hit resistance? You ever... <laughs> You ever walk in obedience to what it is that God's called you to, and then all of a sudden, a storm rises up in front of you, and you're like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you ever, like, obeyed God, and then all of a sudden, like, your life actually gets harder rather than easier by obeying Jesus? If, come on. If, if you haven't, you may not have actually obeyed. Because I'm telling you, when you walk in obedience to the Lord, it doesn't always mean that the wind is going to be working with you. Just because... The wind is against you does not mean that God is not for you. Just because the wind is against you does not mean that God did not send you. Amen? Because this is your second point. You can be in the middle of God's will and still encounter storms. You need to know this. And if, if, you, don't, and if you don't grasp this, we fall into a fallacy, which is that sometimes we get this idea well, if God sends me to something, then the wind's going to work with me. 
Like if I'm, if I'm walking in obedience to what it is that God has told me to do, then the wind is always going to be at my back, like the Irish blessing. Like may the wind be always at your back. Like you're always going to be pushed forward. If the Lord has sent you, then the wind is always going to be with you. But that's not what he, actually what he promises us. He doesn't promise us that the wind is always going to work with us. He does promise us that he is always going to be for us. That his strength is made perfect in weakness. That in our weakness, he's strong. That's what he promises us. So, sometimes, sometimes it's the presence of resistance that should prove in your heart that you're actually following God. Sometimes it's the presence of resistance in the storms of life that should prove to you that you're walking in obedience to God. And sometimes we think it's opposite. So, I want you to notice something in verse 48. Maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't. The first two words in verse 48 say this. What? He saw. He saw. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Your third point is this. When you're in a storm, Jesus sees what you're enduring. Amen. <laughs> when you're in the in-between... Jesus sees what's, what you're going through. See, if you don't catch this, Jesus actually sends them into the storm and then he watches them struggle for, in my estimation, far too long. I mean, have you ever tried rowing against the wind? It's maddening, isn't it? It is maddening. You, if you're actually like or against the tide or against the wind, you can be rowing with all of your might and you're like, I am going like two steps forward, three steps back. I feel like I'm losing ground. I'm not getting anywhere and I'm sweating, right? You, listen, when you're, when you're rowing against the wind, it's absolutely maddening and you think, why am I doing this? And it was dark. It must have been scary for them and, and probably seemed absolutely futile at times, and they find themselves finally getting into the middle of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And how many of you know that sometimes in the, in the in-between is where the testing comes? That's where all of a sudden the testing shows up in our life. It's in the in-between. It's not in the beginning and it's not in the end. It's in the in-between. It's where life is actually lived. Very rarely do we find ourselves feeling like we've arrived at something, and as soon as we do, God's got something else. Amen? But it's in the in-between where testing shows up, and we find this in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, consider it pure joy. I hate this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, whenever the wind is in your face and the waves are scary and the storm shows up and resistance hits, consider it pure joy. Because, verse 3, catch this, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let, you've got to let it, you've got to let it work out. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes storms come to grow us. Many times, if we submit to it, storms will grow us. See, I think that God would actually say that, that it's the in-between that is just as, if not more important than the beginning or the end. I like beginnings, and I like it when bad things end. I like beginnings and endings, but I think that when it comes to what God values the most, he values the in-between. 
because he values my obedience more than my struggle. That's what's important to him, is my obedience. Because the in-between's needed. If we don't have the in-between, then we become spoiled children rather than mature children of God. It's needed. The in-between's needed for each and every single one of us. So, know that Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees what you're going through and he sees what you're enduring. It's our decision to say, you know what? I am going to persevere even when it gets hard. I'm going to persevere even when it gets harder. I'm going to persevere even when it gets hardest. Why? Because many people, many people will walk away. Many people will stop rowing even when it's hard. When it gets harder, they're done. When it gets hardest, they've failed. But it's only when you persevere that you become mature, not lacking anything. That's what the Bible says. And sometimes it takes more faith to keep rowing when you can't see the shore. So I just want to, I just feel like this, honestly, I feel like this message is for, is for a few people in here, but here's the thing. If you find yourself in the in-between and you find yourself feeling adrift in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, you can relate with these guys. I just want you to know God values the fact that you persevere that, and, and he knows that it's easier to just give up. And sometimes, even though it's scary, he wants us to continue because he knows that it takes more faith to row even when you can't see the shore. And he continues in verse 48. He says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. <laughs> Just stop there for a second. Like, I, if I were Jesus, I would totally do this. I mean, I would, told, I, would, I would be like, literally like, you know, like moonwalking on the water next to him, you know, be like, hey guys, keep up the good work, Peter. Hey, Thomas, you look like you're slacking. You know, come on, boys, come on. Okay, good to see you. I'm just, I'll catch you in Bethsaida. Okay, see you guys. Like, I would literally do that. Why? Because it would be fun, because I could, right? If I were Jesus, you better believe I'd be walking on water and just like, hey guys, looks like you're struggling a little bit, Right? The Bible says he was about to pass them by. What? Like, it's one thing for me, because I'm, I'm a jerk. Like, I'm, I'm a human, and that, that would be fun. That would be something cool to do. But, 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 but Jesus, I mean, this was his plan. Let's just recap Jesus' plan. All right, step one, pack all of them into a boat. Step two, push them off. Tell them, go to Bethsaida. Step three, storm comes. Watch them. Waves come. Watch them some more. And then just before dawn, mock them. No, I mean, just, just before dawn, go walking out there on the water and be like, hey, guys, I'm just going to, I figured it would be easier at this walking on water thing. That's got to be difficult. I'll meet you guys in Bethsaida. Like, that's his plan? It seems weird. To, does that not seem like a little weird, Right? And I'm asking the Lord, I'm like, I, I, are you serious? Like this was, you were, you were about to pass them by. But here's what I know to be true. Whenever it comes to preparation, whenever it comes to testing in my own life, it can sometimes feel like God is about to pass me by. Whenever I'm going through the in-between, whenever I feel like I'm just rowing and I'm like, where are you? I know you're in this, but I have no idea where you're at. 
Like I am just going, 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 and I don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm honoring what it is that you told me to do, but I just feel like you're passing me by. But here's what I know about Jesus, is that everything he does is for a purpose. He's not like me, right? And he's not like you. Everything he does is for a reason. Everything he does is for a purpose. Verse 49, he continues, and it says, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. So picture this. I mean, they're all tired. They've been going all night. And there is the wind and the waves and they're sweaty and they're feeling like they're not getting anywhere and they're in the middle of nowhere, right? And they're rowing against the wind. And then Jesus shows up and he's walking on water in the middle of the night and they freak out. These grown men start crying out is what it says. Now, it doesn't say what they said. I'm just guessing it had something to do with like, oh, Jesus, it's a ghost, save us. They're just freaking out. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, it is I, right? Get a hold of yourself, boys. It's I. It is I. Chill out. And what amazes me, in your notes it says this, what amazes me is that sometimes God shows up in our storm and we don't recognize him. We don't see him. I mean, he's there. The savior of the world is walking on water in front of them and they don't see him. They see a ghost. Have you ever been in the middle of a storm and God sends provision or he sends finances or he sends a friend or something? He meets a need and you don't see him right then and there. Like you might see him a month later or, or like a year later, you're like, God, I don't know how I would have made it without the Lord. But in the moment, you're like, where are you? This is scary. Like, I don't know how I'm going to provide. I don't know what, what's going to, I don't know what tomorrow's supposed to look like. I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And I don't see you. All I see is fear because fear can cause you to get focused in on problems rather than provision. Fear causes us to get so focused on on, on the fear that we can't see God right in front of our faces. Jesus literally walks on water right to them and they can't see him. And when 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 we sometimes, you know, see our circumstances through fear, it means that we have vision, but we fail to see God's provision. So we see it. We see, we see the wind. We see the waves. But we don't see God in the midst of all of it. And sometimes we just go fo- so focused we can't see him. So if you find yourself in the middle right now, in the in-between, in the already but not yet, in the place where, like, God, I thought I'd be further along than I am now, I just want you to know he's showing up and you just may not be seeing him for who he truly is. So, Jesus shows up in the in-between, and none of them see him. Verse 50, let's keep going. He says, immediately he spoke to them, because they're freaking out, they're crying, grown men, and he says, take courage, man up, right? Get a hold of yourself. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Now, if that were like the end of the story, that's, that's, that's a cool story, like, right? I mean, that's, that's awesome. Like, that's cool. Like, they, Jesus sends them out. They're going to Bethsaida. The wind, the waves, ah, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, don't worry, it is I. He comes in. He gets in the boat. Waves, 
wind, down, Jesus, you're my, that's awesome, thank you. Except for verse 52. It throws us for a curveball. At least it throws me for a curveball. You're probably smarter than me. But he says this. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And I read this. And I was like, what does that even mean? You're like, well, Pastor Justin, really? Do I need to explain this? I really do. My first time reading this, I'm like, I have no idea what this has to do with anything. They're like, oh, yeah, all this happens. Oh, don't worry. It is I. And then he gets in the boat, waves die down. Oh, this is awesome. I'm so amazed. Because they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. And I was asking the Lord as as I was studying this week, like, Lord, what does that mean? And the way I just worded it, I was just like, Lord, what does yesterday's miracle have to do with today's storm? And the Lord corrected me. And this is what he spoke to my heart. He said, yesterday's miracle has everything to do with how you view today's storm. Yesterday's miracle has everything to do with how you view today's storm. Because... If God can multiply food, and if he can provide lunch for thousands of people, then surely he sees you. He knows what you're enduring, and he wants you to see him in the in-between, in the middle, in the already but not yet. Yesterday's miracle has everything to do with how you view today's storm. See, the in-between is when we are supposed to be taking inventory of what God has done and applying it to today's circumstances. Sometimes we just want to move from one thing to the next, and God's saying, look, the in-between is all about taking yesterday's miracle and applying that to today's storm and applying that to today's circumstances. And you're like, well, well God, I, I had enough, I had enough like, trust in you to trust you for what you did in yesterday's miracle, and that was awesome, and wow, I'm so glad, but like, I just don't know if I have enough trust in you to, to handle what's coming at me right now. And this is why the Bible says that their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. They understood Jesus on a certain level as, you know, who Jesus was. They were fed. Like, they had enough vision to be able to see Jesus as a miracle worker, as a guy that, that could heal the sick and, and, and was a great teacher and, and was able to feed 5,000 people and all this stuff. And that was awesome. But they still didn't realize who they were dealing with. They didn't see him. So seeing him walking on the water threw them for a loop. In their hearts, they still didn't trust him. They were amazed at what he could do, but they still didn't understand who he was. And Jesus wanted them to know him, to truly know who he was. Number five says this. The problem was not the storm that was around them. It was a storm that's within them. Jesus was more interested in their obedience than in their struggle. I'm more interested in my struggle, to be honest with you. I like to talk about my struggle. I like to talk about the wind and the waves, and I'm hungry, and I wish, and could you, and maybe. Jesus is more interested in their obedience than he is in their struggle. 
Essentially, he's saying, guys, it's not about the wind. It's not about the waves. It's not about the bread. It's not about the storm. And we said last week, it's about your heart. That's what he's after. And when we go through our testing, when we go through the in-between, it is always about the heart. And he says they didn't understand the loaves. And honestly, the lesson of the loaves was not, hey, I can feed you when you're hungry. The lesson of the loaves is I'm the bread of life. I'm your provision. I want you to know me. Know truly who I am. Like in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, he, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his, his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the question is this, do you trust him? Do you trust him? I know that you found that you could trust him for yesterday's miracle, but do you trust him in today's storm, in today's circumstance? Are you able to take what God has done and bring it into what you need God to do now in, in the current storm, in the current circumstance that you find yourself in today? And he, I think he's telling them, I want, I want you to see, not with your eyes, but with your heart. I want you to see me. I want you to know me. You're focusing on a loaf of bread. You're focusing on some wind. But I want you to see me, the bread of life. That's who I am. See, the storm within us is always God's first priority. I always want God to, to fix the storm outside of me. God, the wind. God, the waves. God, the bread. God, I'm hungry. God, and God's saying, look, all those things are really important to me, and they are important to him, but his first priority is our heart. That's what he's after. And many times, resistance is the greatest opportunity for revelation. Sometimes we think, oh, I, I get to discover who God is in, in the beginning or the end of things. I'm just telling you, sometimes it's in resistance that we have the opportunity for the greatest revelation of Jesus. Why? Because we all of a sudden have to reconcile with, with what, we, what we've heard about Jesus and what we know about Jesus. We have to reconcile um, things that people have death testified about what Jesus has done and who Jesus is in our own life. Is he our provision? Is he our all in all? Do we trust him? Do we trust him? Verse 53. He says, when they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret and anchored there. Pretty simple, right? Now, if you're not paying close attention, uh, you may have not noticed this, but in verse 45, Jesus put his disciples in the boat and he pushes them off and he tells them to go to where? Bethsaida. But they end up in Genesaret, which is, is very different. Like you can look on the, the Sea of Galilee. Those are very different places. They kind of got off course. They got blown a little bit. Of course, they don't end up in the place that, that they were supposed to end up. And here's the reality. This is what the Lord was speaking to me, is that sometimes God sends you to one destination only to have us end up in another destination. Amen. We get blown off course sometimes. 
We get into this place, and, we, and, and, and many of you, maybe you're, maybe you're there right now, where you're like, Lord, I'm here, but I know I'm not, I wasn't supposed to be here. I was supposed to be here, and I just feel like I've missed it. I feel like I'm, I, I, I'm, I, maybe I didn't listen to you, maybe I wasn't obedient to you, I just don't understand. I thought I was, it was supposed to look different than it does right now, Jesus. And what we find out, and we can't forget, is that wherever you are, there he is. Wherever you are, there he is. But God, I thought I was supposed to be further along. I thought I was supposed to be here. I was supposed to go to Bethsaida, but I ended up in Genesaret. And I just went, wherever you are, there he is. And he shows up and they minister to thousands of people in Genesaret. But I thought I was supposed to go to Bethsaida. Well, you're supposed to head in Bethsaida's direction. But you ended up in Genesaret, right in the center of where it is that I'm supposed to, that I wanted you to be. Because what I find is that sometimes God sends us one way and he, and just to get us into another way, and along the way, he could teach us more things about his way. Like we, we just end up, we, we, we launch out in a direction and sometimes we get blown off course, sometimes things happen. It's just important for us to know you haven't necessarily always missed the mark. Sometimes it's just realizing that God, this is where I'm at. Use me where I'm at. But I thought I was supposed, okay, well, we may get there. But use me where I'm at. So don't get discouraged when you think that maybe you're off course or you're not where you should be. Just know that God's with you wherever you're at. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> We're going to have communion here in just a minute and um, I'm going to have the, the team pass out the, the elements right now as, as I'm going I'm to just keep talking to you because I had my whole sermon all like buttoned up and everything was, was good. And, and um, you ever just have the Lord just keep, you just won't shut up. Like he just keeps talking to you about stuff and you're like, God, I, I already wrote it. It's all good. You can stop talking now. Like it's, it's okay. And, and I, I just kept hearing verse 52. It just kept rattling around in my spirit. Like I, I, I didn't... I, 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 I don't know why, I just kept, I couldn't get away from it. I kept asking this question, and just to refresh, in case you haven't been listening, it's Mark chapter 6, verse 52, he says, for they had not understand, understood about the loaves. That whole portion of like, what does this have to do with anything? And I kept asking the Lord, okay, God, what am I supposed to know about these loaves? Like, what am I supposed to be understanding? Or what were they supposed to understand and they didn't? Like, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm fully getting it. Because obviously it was so significant to end this story with they had not understood about the loaves. And as I was studying in Mark chapter 6 and rereading and rereading and asking the Lord, I, all of a sudden the Lord brought to my remembrance that like, oh yeah, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus does kind of the same thing again. Like he does this whole feeding of this great group of people. And so I flip my, my, my scripture head, you know, to Mark chapter 8. And um, it's pretty much a very similar story. You know, this, the, the story is the huge crowd of people, nobody planned to have Subway cater, and so they're like, we're hungry, and, and we, we, we don't have any food, we didn't plan ahead. And so they come up with, with seven loaves of bread instead of five. And so I'm like, I'm asking the Lord, I'm like, okay, so like, is the number significant? Like, and I'm not one of those people, so I'm like, is seven, is it like seven like the heavenly number? And like, I just don't get into that stuff. No offense if you do, but I'm just like, Lord, what's, what's this all about? Like, I'm supposed to get something out of this. 
And I found that in Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8, there's something significant that happens. The miracle of, of this feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, seems to be activated by an action. So in both accounts, this is what happens. Let me just kind of, in Mark 6 and Mark 8, this is what happens. Jesus gets the five loaves of bread or the seven loaves of bread, whatever. He gets some loaves of bread, and it says that he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and then he gives it to distribute to the disciples, to give to the people. So, takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and then gives it out to the disciples to, to go. So it seems to me that, because I can't even, like I said in the very beginning, I can't even fathom this miracle. It seems to me that this actual miracle happens in the breaking of the bread. As he breaks this bread and hands it out, there's something miraculous that happens. This, this miracle of exponential multiplication, right? He just keeps, like he feeds all of these people. And then it hit me. I turn ahead to Mark chapter 14 because I'm like, man, this is, this is weird. And it's the Last Supper. Mark chapter 14 is all about the Last Supper. It's essentially like the culmination of everything that Jesus had come to do. And it's the Last Supper that he's having with his disciples. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 16. I was thinking about how the Bible calls Mary blessed among women. You know that? She's blessed among women. In her day, that's not what they called her. They thought she was an illegitimate, had an illegitimate child, out of wedlock. But yet the Bible calls her blessed. The Bible says you're a blessed woman. I would just say, sometimes that in between is the blessing of God in our life. It doesn't always look like we think it should, but it's still good because he's El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough. Amen. So, Father God, this week as we leave from here, we believe that you are the God who is more than enough for me, for my work, for my family, for every issue I have. And this week will be different because of that. And if you agree, this week will be different because of El Shaddai. Give a shout and a hand clap and an amen. And let's just believe God. Amen. Have a great week.